0: to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and uh, I want to say it again how much Jeremy and I have appreciated your we have appreciated very much your rich hospitality and uh, we have been praying and uh, asking the Lord to bless our time with you I um I will tell you I uh I absolutely love, uh, getting out of my country and going other places and meeting brothers and sisters in Christ. And, uh, you, you know, you know what I find interesting? I'll, I'll tell you what, one of the, well, I find a number of things interesting. One of the things I find interesting is that believers are believers in churches or churches the world over and it's hilarious or it's odd or it's ironic or it's maybe surprising. The issues that I face and that we face are the same issues that you face. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, to me, it's, uh, it's interesting how uh, that that is often the case. I, those of you that uh, were not here uh, in the Sunday School hour, and those of you that were here, pretend like you you not never heard this before. Okay, so at the right moment, laugh like you'd never heard this. Before. Okay, so I was sharing with them. I, uh, I I can't tell you how much we appreciate your hospitality. It's uh, Josh and I have been stuffed. Jeremy and I have been stuffed this week with your food and uh, just expressions of love. And you don't even know us and You've rolled out the red carpet, and when when we're treated that way, I I try to always um, I try to always say thank you with kind of a biblical approach. And so one time, we were in a place and people had done that, and so I looked at the people and I had a pastor friend that was with me, and I looked at them and I said, "Wow, your hospitality reminds me of," and I I wanted to say Aquila and Priscilla, but what I said was Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, when I said that, my pastor friend he put his hand on my shoulder and whispered loudly, "Joel." God killed those people. Do you remember that? And so, anyway, but your your hospitality has been like Aquila and Priscilla, and it's very rich. And this morning we come to a great passage, Ecclesiastes chapter three, and uh, Ecclesiastes chapter three. And in Ecclesiastes chapter three, uh, we have a, I think, a great passage of scripture that reveals a significant truth. And uh, those of you, I think all of you have notes, and so um, if you would, uh, look in your notes. And uh, we, we call this passage of Scripture, uh, in kind of the title of our sermon, God and His Work. Now, I, I know that um, this may seem a little provincial, but I, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want to remind us, as we get started this morning, that you, uh, um, that you are a work of God. The Scriptures make that clear. Uh, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's because God has done a wondrous work in your life. The the work of faith and repentance is a miracle. We call that the new birth. It is a miracle. Uh, And so you are a work of God. And not only are you a work of God, but when God brings uh, redeemed ones together in a church, that church is a work of God. So what I want you to do, I don't know if Scott ever does this. I I, I hope I'm not out of bounds. I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to say, you are a work of God. Go ahead and do that right now. Go ahead. Okay. All right. It's okay. It's okay. Don't be too embarrassed. I promise you, God's okay if you talk in church. It's okay. (coughs) Okay. Now, Okay. So now I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I am a work of God. Go ahead and tell that to your neighbor. Say, I'm a work of God. Okay. So, so far, we have we have affirmed that you are a work of God. We have affirmed that I am a work of God. One more thing, and then no more talking in church, and so that we'll go back to normal. The third thought is, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God's not done yet. Go ahead and say that. Now, that's good news. You're a work of God, and I'm a work of God, and here's the good news. God's not done working yet. And, uh, I know that we're all relieved to know that this morning, but you're a work of God and I'm a work of God. As we come to Ecclesiastes chapter three, God's going to remind us some certain, He's going to remind us about His thumbprint on His work. Now, one of the things that I have to remind myself is that when working with God's people, when, 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 when people come to Jesus in faith and repentance, Guess who shows up in their life? The third person of the Godhead. Who is that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in, and the Holy Spirit begins to do all kinds of things in his life. Now, there are times when, and it's important, there are times when all of us need to remember that, you know, we're not perfect, and frankly, we make mistakes. I, I was telling you earlier, I, and I'm always doing this. I'm always inserting You know, I'm kind of a sanguine when it comes to my personality. So I'm always sticking my foot into my mouth. And my family and friends love to laugh at me. And so if you want to laugh at me, go ahead and you're, you're in good company. But not only did I tell you about the time I, you know, I insulted our dear host by calling them Ananias and Sapphira, just more recently, do you have bagels in New Zealand? Okay. We love bagels in America. That's why many of us are heavier than we should be. And so I was meeting a dear brother and we were meeting for discipleship and he said meet me at the bagel shop i said okay so i showed up at the bagel shop and i it was the first time i was in this place walked in and uh right there in the entrance place the gal behind the the gal behind the counter and they had these wonderful sample bagels i said well that's fantastic so i took one of those and i stuck it in my mouth and I began to chew and uh kind of crunchy but i kept on chewing and the gal behind the counter she stopped what she stopped in her tracks and looked at me with this strange look and she smiled at me and that was kind of unusual so i am crunching and smiling back you know trying to be polite you know she's smiling at me you you got to return that sort of pleasantry and so i i i was done and then i swallowed and she said was that good i said well it was okay it was kind of crunchy she said well it's for dogs and uh, so i had failed to see that these samples on the set on the side it said for fido but somebody had turned the little thing so i couldn't see that it was that was an embarrassing moment i said to the lady i said man i'm sorry i, I said, do i owe you anything she says no but if you eat another one i'm going to charge you double it'll be 75 cents times 2 and uh rate, anyway, so we're, you know a lot of times when you're doing that when, when you know when you make a mistake when we live life and we make even bigger mistakes we often say lord what what's going on why no, oh, what what are you doing in our life? Well, I think in this passage, we're reminded what God is doing. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I, uh, typically I know that maybe the preacher should read this, but I'd like for one of you, who would be willing to read these 14 verses? Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through 14. Uh, somebody, uh, somebody, if you would, uh, read read that for me. Thank you, my brother. Read aloud.
1: For everything there is a season a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to children and man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also he has put eternity in man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever, and nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him.
0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your love to us. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for this passage in Ecclesiastes this morning where Solomon reminds us about the work of God. Father, we thank you that we are your workmen, that we are your work, and uh, you're working on us. And we thank you that you've promised to complete that work. And Father, I pray that you meet with us this morning. Help us to have the mind of Christ Lord, I pray you'd impact our thinking. Lord, help us to have a right view of what we are, who we are, uh, both as believers and as well as a church. And Father, we thank you uh, for what you'll do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Nobody likes phases when you're being stretched. All of us have gone through those kinds of phases. And um, um, uh, when you think about being stretched, and as we're reminded that we're the, 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 the work of God, we come to this passage in ecclesiastes that explains the work of god now notice the notice the third paragraph in your notes background to ecclesiastes the term ecclesiastes comes from the greek translation of the hebrew old testament called the septuagint uh, literally it means the preacher a literal rendition of the hebrew title of uh, for those of you that like hebrew the the literal hebrew name is kohelet which means preacher one who calls or gathers He was used of the one who addresses the congregation of believers. Today we would call him the preacher. Typically, a rabbi would read Ecclesiastes during the Feast of Pentecost. And so this book of Ecclesiastes was read from beginning to end. If you're going to remember, Hebrew goes from right to left. So it, uh, it would have been read from right to left, and it would have been read in total during the Feast of Pentecost. Of course, you have to remember the chapter titles and verses that we have were not part of the original Hebrew text that was added far later. It would have been an, kind of an ongoing, rolling narrative, as uh, <clears throat> the rabbi would have read it. The central theme of, of of this Ecclesiastes is the futility or the vanity of living life apart from God's glory. Now, this morning, we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We need to remember that Solomon has already introduced the reader to the main theme theme in chapter 1. And then throughout the book, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about the vanity of of other things which compete for our attention. Now, this is good. This is extremely good. Ecclesiastes, while it was written uh, during the time of Solomon in the Old Testament thousands of years ago, Boy, these themes and this message is right on time for believers today. Why? Because we as believers, we know that we should live life for God's glory, and yet we also have to endure the temptation, and there are certain things which compete for our attention. Uh, For instance, uh, Solomon in uh, chapter 2, he talks about pleasure-seeking, the vanity of pleasure-seeking. Do you think there are born-again believers that get tripped up on pleasure seeking today. You think that's possible? I promise you that there are believers that uh, there are times in their life, instead of their primary focus being God's glory, uh, their focus becomes the seeking of pleasure. Okay. Now, it's interesting in, in chapter seven, Solomon talks about the empty pursuit of justice. Okay. Yeah. There are people today that believe that man, in order for life to really matter, my idea of justice has to be realized and so and so some people get in you know they they pursue various avenues in hope that you know if justice can only be served well then life will make sense but here solomon throughout this book explains that no the only the only thing that's going to make sense from eternity's perspective is living life for god's glory so this morning as we come to ecclesiastes chapter 3 and we read this passage, we're reminded that you are the work of God, I am the work of God, and I'd like for us to notice five truths about God's work in each phase of life, okay? Five truths, and you can write, those of you that have notes, you can write these down. Number one, and you can fill in the blank. Number one, God's work, this is number one, verses one through eight. You remember it, verses one through eight, uh, our brother just read, there's time for everything, a time to, uh, to be born, to die, to plant, uh to, to harvest, to kill, to tear down, to build, to weep, to laugh, to mourn, to dance. And it goes all the way through verse eight, right? And so we're reminded that 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 number one, God in his work, and here's the you can fill in the blank, God in his work is seen in every phase of life. So number one, God in his work is seen in every phase of life. You know that list in verses one through eight? Every one of those seasons is ordained of god and let me just say this every one of those seasons is true of our life but it's also not just true as us as individual believers it's also true of the church okay every church goes through a season here at good news baptist church you're in a specific season i don't know what that is some of you might have an idea of what that is okay you're in a season in our church the southeast valley baptist church we're going through a season we're going through a particular time of transition We've had, uh, uh, over the years, we've had, I've had two uh, very uh, uh, close associate pastors, elders on the elder team that have worked with us, and one of those pastors has just recently left our church to plant another church. And we've had several of our families that have gone with him to plant another church. And so what's happening is we're we're having to reproduce all kinds of leaders. Why? Well, we had a core of leaders that left our church. So we're going through a season. We're going through a time of transition. Guess what? That that's 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 ordained of God. Um, every time we go through a season, we have to remind ourselves that that season is as much as the work of God than the former season. Now, sometimes what happens is we have a, kind of an unhealthy view of the season that we're in. Oh, if I can only get through this season. The next season will not have any trials or temptations or hardships. Or sometimes we have spiritual amnesia. Oh, this season is so hard and the last season was so full of blessings and, you know, and so we forget. Now, nah, the last season you were in, there were challenges and there were some miserable times and God had to take you through seasons of having to learn to trust Him. Okay. And so what we have to, re- what Solomon is reminding us here in this passage is that we're the work of God. And no matter what season of life you're in, God is, God is accomplishing His work. And so number one, uh, the first thing that we see about God and His work is God and His work is seen in every phase of life. By the way, it's interesting. I, uh, I can remember we have, I told you we have three sons. They're now 20, 18, and 16. I can remember when they were four, two, and newborn. I can remember that. And I, I remember I remember the diaper stage of life. Lord, if we can just get out of this stage. I should have invested in Huggies. Do you have Huggies in New Zealand? Okay. I should have invested in Huggies. I mean, the diapers that we were going these boys that we were going through. So it's like Lord, if just get us beyond the diaper stage. And so the Lord did. He by grace every birthday party was a survival party. <laughs> we we survived one more year. Thank you, Lord. Not sure how you did that, but thank you. And, yeah, uh, <clears throat> you know, we went through a rash of guardian angels. I mean, it was, the boys kept on, they, they had a gift towards self-destruction. The oldest, he tried to play Tarzan with the blinds, you know, the window blinds. He tried to play Tarzan from the top bunk to the bottom. I mean, I just have story after story of God's miraculous saving their skin. That one, Jeremy, when he was three, we we were at my mom and dad's, we had just moved from Minnesota. And... We didn't know, I, I should have known because it was quiet. And anytime it was quiet, it meant bad. And so apparently he went into the one bedroom and he began to bounce on the bed and he got higher and higher. And you know the fan, the ceiling fans, you know the little cords? He grabbed it and he shimmied himself to the top and he was holding on to the fan while it was spinning around. Whee! And then we heard this thunk and, he, the glass bulb had broke and it fell and he was in the middle of the bed with broken glass and he was laughing when we saw him. I was not laughing when I found him. But, so I remember we, the diaper phase and then it was that phase. I said, Lord, can you just get him to kindergarten? So the Lord did that. We got to kindergarten. And on the first day of kindergarten, my oldest son punched out his girlfriend in line. And so the, the, te- the administrator, Pastor Joel, your son just punched out this girl. And so I said, oh man. So, Every phase, you know, if we can just get it to the high school phase, and now now that it's in the college phase, and if we can just get them out of the house. But then I understand when they leave, they come back and they bring people with them, right? So every phase. Okay, so every phase. Some of you are getting that. All right, so number one, God and His work can be seen in every phase of life. Notice number two. Look at verse 9 and 10. Look at verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10, what does the worker gain? What does the individual gain from his work? I've seen the burden God has laid on men. I've seen the, the work that God has given men. And what's the idea here? The idea is here is, number one, God and his work is seen in every phase of life. Number two, God and his work is ultimately dependent upon God, not man for the result. So number two, God and his work is ultimately dependent upon God. It's, it's up to God. Verses 9 and 10 is a rhetorical question. And the rhetorical question is, as, well, what kind of benefit comes by way of the toil that man does? Well, apart from himself, from an eternal perspective, nothing. I mean, a man works and it works and it works, but apart from God doing what God is doing, boy, we're not going to be successful. It's up, And so that's really verse 9 and 10. It's a rhetorical question. God and his work is not ultimately dependent upon man and his work. God in His work is dependent upon God working His work through man, and so that's a, a powerful thought. Number two. Notice, notice point number three. Look at, let's move on to verse eleven. Look at verse eleven. Number three. God in His work, and you can fill in the blank. Number three. God in His work is beautiful. Look at the first. Look at the first couple of words in verse eleven. He has made everything beautiful. What are we saying? God in his work is beautiful. Number one, we saw God in his work is seen in every phase of life. Number two, God in his work, God is ultimately, God in his work is ultimately dependent upon God, not man, for the result. And number three, God in his work is beautiful. In every phase of life. In every phase of uh, the the work of God that we are, that phase is beautiful. Now, my brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that everything in that phase is beautiful in and of itself. What's the promise that we have in Romans 8, 28? We know that what? All things what? Work together for good. Not, he doesn't say that all things are good, but he's saying all things work together for good for those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. What are we saying? What's Paul saying there? Paul is saying God is so powerful, he's so sovereign, He's so providential in the lives of God's children that he works all things together for good based on the counsel of his will. That means God takes everything that you and I are doing and even though those things even though those even though we may sin, even though we may fail, God is so powerful, he knows how to take all those things and turn them into good. He knows how to redeem them for the life of the believer. That's that's a blessing. That's a blessing. You remember how in the book of Joel, the minor prophet Joel and I met another Joel this morning, and that was a that was a blessing. We have another young Joel, so there's two of us minor prophets in the, in the where I'm preaching at home, I'm preaching a series through all the books of the minor prophets. And it's a rich sermon series indeed. You remember how in Joel, God promised in that book that he's able he's able to replace the years of locusts God's able to take what we consider to be waste, what we consider to be failure. God's able to take all of that and in His economy, with His math, working His will, He's able to take the years that we have left. Can you imagine all the ministry of Jesus was able to accomplish? He did it in three years. Three years. God allowed His Son to die at the age of 33 years of age. Does that mean that God didn't love Jesus? The Father didn't love Jesus? Come on, God loved, God loved His Son. Yeah, But in three years, God was able to utilize and complete Jesus' earthly ministry. Okay. Well, a lot of times we become frustrated because as we look over the span of our life, we, we think of those years, we think of a season where we weren't living for God. We say, oh Lord, if I could just go back and redeem that. But you know what? God is so powerful He's able to take even the wasted season of locusts and use those to such a degree that He multiplies the effect of your years of service now so that you actually accomplish more with the time you have left than you would have otherwise. God uses that. Okay, So God is sovereign. God is providential. And in this passage, Solomon reminds us that not only is God in His work seen in every phase of life, verses 1 through 8, number 1, Number two, God in His work is not dependent upon man, but dependent upon God. Number three, God in His work, every phase—it's beautiful. That's one of those where we where we accept by faith and not by sight, right? I, mean, I remember, frankly, I remember—I mean, I remember when we were first starting Southeast Valley Baptist Church, kind of in an introductory phase of ministry, and I remember. I had pastored a Bible church in one of the states in the United States. It's called Minnesota. It's very north, lots of snow, lots of ice. Unlike Arizona, which is the polar opposite of that. But we were pastoring in Minnesota, and um, the Lord called us to Arizona to be a part of a new church plant. And I remember the second Sunday we were there, we showed up to Sunday school, and there were three other people there for Sunday school. Three people, myself, my wife and three people, in Sunday school, and I said, "Lord, Dad, did I misunderstand you? That you know, did I miss? It's kind of like John the Baptist when the first time Jesus showed up, he was in jail. And uh, Jesus, are you the right Jesus, or am I supposed to be looking for somebody else?" And I remember that stage, thinking to myself, "Okay, is this really right?" But as I told you earlier, looking back at God's faithfulness, listen, God is faithful in every stage of life, and no matter what shows up. In that phase of life, we know that God is working His will. Yeah, and so every phase is beautiful. Notice number four. Notice uh, continuing in verse eleven. Number four, God in His work, it's not only beautiful, but notice God in His work. Look at verse. Uh, look at verse eleven. He has made everything beautiful. Notice. Notice the next three words. I think those of you that have translations that kind of correspond with this. In its time, or in His time. Number four. God in His work, you ready for this, is never late. Those of you that have blanks, you can write that down. God in His work, He is never late. God in His work is never late. It's beautiful in His time. God in His work is never late. But, but is it not true that there have been times when things happen to us, and that's not what I wrote down in my day timer. I... I know some of you probably use a handheld computer. God bless you. I don't understand you, but God bless you. I still use an antiquated daytimer system. I don't know. You, do you guys have Franklin Covey out here? Uh, did they ever have that? Okay, they don't know that. So I have an antiquated daytimer. It's a, it's a notebook. I open it up. I've got a calendar. I use real ink, real pens, and real paper. I'm, I know I'm kind of a 19th century man. My children tell me that. Uh, but, uh, um, I, I love my daytimer, but I will tell you there, it, it happens constantly, you know. Something comes up in the in the in the ebb and flow of the day, and I didn't plan on that. That was not in my day timer. Uh, you know, you get an unplanned medical bill that you weren't planning for. Lord, this is not what I expected today. And so, and so, some, all kind. It happens regularly that God's timing is sometimes different than our timing. So, how do we respond to that? See, this passage tells us that God is never late. But sometimes when I'm going through life, something happens and it catches us off guard. Lord, I was not planning for this today. I have three sons. I can't tell you how many times we've been to the emergency room. I can't tell you how many times we've been to the doctor, how many times we've had... Okay, Lord, I was not planning for this today. Okay. So when those things happen, it's good to remind ourselves that God is not up in heaven grabbing the banister of heaven with white knuckles, saying, oh, no, Gabriel, this one, this one caught us by surprise. God doesn't do that, right? I mean, he's sovereign. And so we need to remember when God's time, listen, God and his work is never late. So we need to understand, Let me let me just remind us four truths, and this is in your notes, you might write this in, four truths about God's timing, okay? Four truths about God's timing. The first one is found in Ephesians one eleven. Turn if you will over, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one, verse eleven. Ephesians chapter one in verse eleven. Four truths about God's timing being his timing. He's never late. Number one, God's timing is, and you can fill in the blank there, God's timing is fixed to God's providential will. The word is providential. God's providential, His sovereign, or if you want, His preordained. Okay. God's timing is fixed to God's preordained will. Listen to Ephesians 1, verse 11. In Him, we were all chosen in having predestined according to the plan of Him and we say okay I know that Joel I know that I'm saved I'm my salvation is because God chose me okay yeah I understand that but it's more than your salvation listen to this in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out listen everything in conformity with the purpose of his will everything that means there is nothing that happens to me that somehow to one degree or another is not the not connected to either the direct will of God or at least the permissible will of God. All of that, God has allowed all of that. He's taken all, even, listen, now, God's not the author of our sin, but even our sinful and in, in human choices, and even when we make mistakes, God somehow is able to take those individual choices, and that's wrapped into the fabric of God's preordained plan for our life say, Joel, I don't understand that. I don't either, okay? God is sovereign, man is responsible, and only in God's mind does he understand how that's perfectly woven together, okay? If if you go too far one way, you end up in hyper, hyper dangerous Calvinism, okay? Hyper-Calvinism, where, where you know, uh, uh, God is sovereign and man has no responsibility. If you go too far the other way, you end up with hyper-Arminianism, where man worships his own choice and God has nothing to do with it. So that there is a, if you will, there is a balanced, uh, reality where man is responsible and God is sovereign and those two play together. And so here we have that in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. God's timing is fixed to God's, is fixed to God's predestined will. Number two, God sometimes allow, uh, the second reason why sometimes it seems as if God's timing is different than ours or ours is different than, uh, then, uh, God's is God sometimes allow his work to be resisted by Satan and evil spirited armies. You remember in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But against, uh, against principalities, against wicked spirits in high places, right? And then Daniel chapter 10, you don't need to turn, but you remember in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel cried out to God in prayer, and God sent the answer through his messenger, the angel, and Halfway, uh, halfway to Daniel with the answer, uh, the angel had to, had to fight with the evil spirited demon, a powerful demon. And so by the time Michael was able to make it to Daniel, he said, Hey, I came with the answer, but I was, you know, I had, I had this uh, spiritual warfare fight. And so what we're saying is, yes, when God's, when God's timing is different than our timing, number one, we need to remember God's timing is fixed, to God, is fixed to God's plan. Number two, God's timing is sometimes resisted by Satan. Okay? Number three, God's timing, and this is in Genesis 22 6 and following. You don't need to turn. But God's time is sometimes delayed because of a lesson that we need to learn. In Genesis 22, that's when Abraham and Isaac were taken to the mountain, and Isaac asked the question, Father, where is God's sacrifice? Where is the offering? And Abraham said, God will provide Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. And he did provide. He provided with the lamb. And, and he was just in time, right? Just before Abraham was going to plunge with a knife, God said, no, Abraham, I, I see now that you're a servant that's willing to follow me. And so that, what, there was a lesson that Abraham and Isaac needed to learn. Do you think that Abraham and Isaac ever forgot that? I can promise you they never forgot that. So God's timing is different than ours number 1 because of God's will number 2 because sometimes Satan resists God's will and number 3 sometimes because God has a lesson he wants us to learn he inter- he interrupts our time with his time he interrupts our plans with his plans and you know what we have to remember this sometimes we get sometimes we say lord why are you doing this you know what it's a lesson that we would not learn unless God was going to do this sometimes God allows us to be, our plans to be interrupted because there's a lesson he wants us to learn and it's the only way that we can learn that lesson. Number four, lastly, God's timing is sometimes delayed, at least we think, because God has a better choice. In Genesis 24, again, you don't need to turn, but in Genesis 24, Abraham's servant was tasked with the task of finding Isaac a wife. You remember that? And so Abraham's servant went back to the hometown and found uh, God's choice. (coughs) And Isaac was given a wife. And as the servant reflected on all of that, here's what the servant said in Genesis 24. I, being in the way, the Lord led me. I love that phrase. I, being in the way, the Lord led me. I would imagine that Abraham was probably keeping an eye out for Isaac's wife. I would imagine Isaac was probably keeping his eye open for Isaac's wife. But notice, in God's perfect timing, not in his perfect timing, not in Abraham's timing, not in Isaac's timing, but in God's perfect timing, God allowed the servant to find the wife. Why? Because sometimes God's timing is different than ours because God has a better choice than the one that's before us. Let me say it again. Sometimes God's timing is different than ours because God wants to provide something. And we we have choice A and we have choice B and we have choice C. And we're wanting to go with one of those in God's will is choice D. But it hasn't shown up yet. And so God knows that he has to interrupt our timetable so that we don't go after one of the ones that he doesn't want us to go after. Now, sometimes God doesn't care. Sometimes Sometimes God says, you can choose either one of those. You can choose A, B, or C, and all of those are God's will, and none of them are sin, and they're all okay, and okay, and you use wisdom, and you choose one, and fine. But sometimes God says, no, I don't want you to go with either A, B, or C. I have one over here, I've got a better choice, and you don't know it, so I'm gonna interrupt your timetable to give you this choice. So we ask the question, how can it be, back in, and you can turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where we started, we're reminded that we're we're a work of God and you're a work of God and God's not done with the work yet. And so we see that God and His work is seen in every phase of life. Number two, God and His work is dependent upon God, not man. Number three, God and His work is beautiful in every one of those phases. It's perfect. Number four, God and His work uh, is never late in His time. That brings us lastly to number five. You can fill in the blank. Number five. Number five. Uh, notice in uh the last part of verse eleven. Number five, God and his work is ultimately understood only from God's perspective. You can fill in the blank. Number five, God and his work is ultimately only understood perfectly from God's perspective. Listen to the last part of verse eleven. He also has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot understand what God is doing from beginning to end. Okay? Only so number five is. God and his work is ultimately only understood by God. Listen, there are going to be times when God allows things in our life and you say, Lord, I don't understand that. Why? Why did you do that? Why why would you allow that? And I'm going to say this. I don't believe it's necessarily sin to ask that question. Godly men have asked that question in the scriptures. Moses asked that question. David asked that question. Jesus asked that question. Elisha asked that question in 1 Kings chapter 19. Okay, why? Why did you do that? I mean, I've been faithful to you. I'm the only one left. No, no, Elisha. There are are thousands that have not bowed the knee to Baal. So I, I don't think it's necessarily sinful to ask the question why, but I think there's a better question than why. And I think the better question is, Lord, I don't understand it. What's next? What's? How should I respond to this? Maybe that's a better question than to ask why. Lastly, we see here God and His work is ultimately only understood from God's perspective. My brothers and sisters, you know what? It's good to remind ourselves that just as Bunyan portrayed, you remember Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress and he portrayed the walk of Christian in life? Really, that metaphor is very accurate. That's an accurate reflection. God is watching over all of His children as they're walking on the road to the celestial kingdom. Well, these are, these are encouraging truths, are they not? As we reflect on the fact that you're a work of God, I'm a work of God, Good News Baptist Church is a work of God. And no matter what phase of life you're in, no matter what phase of life this church is in, these five truths are eternally true of God's work. God and His work, it's seen in every phase of life. So no matter what phase of life you're in, what phase of life this church is in, we're the work of God. God's working in this season. God and His work is ultimately determined based on what God does, not what man does. God and His work, number three, is beautiful; it's perfect. Number four, God and His work is never late. Number five, lastly, God and His work um, is ultimately only understood from God's perspective, so we can trust Him. We're not always we're not always going to fully understand why God does what He does, but God knows, and we can trust Him. My brothers and sisters, I call this the acid test. This is the acid test. Um, for most of us, for most of us, and I want you to listen to this, it's very important. For most of us, all of us are going to, most of us are going to experience once or twice or three times, maybe, maybe, you can count them on one hand most of us are going to experience one or two or three uh happenings in our life and they are so painful and they so they are so deep and they are so scarring that we would say to ourselves god if i had been god i would not have allowed to happen what just happened or god if 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 i was god and if what would have happened would have been fair that which did not happen would have happened. The acid test is that we go through that, and on the other side of that we say, God, that was deep and it was wounding, and I'll carry that scar for the rest of my life. But, with, but along with Job, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. It is the acid test. It's the acid test. Will we trust the Lord? Even though that which was unfathomable happened. God allowed something that was just hard for us to understand. And ultimately, we'll, maybe we'll never understand why that happened the way it happened. And So God and His work is seen in every phase, number one, verse 1 through 8. Number two, God and His work is ultimately dependent upon God, not man. Number three, God and His work is beautiful. Number four, God and His work is never late. Number five, God and His work is ultimately only understood completely by God's perspective. So those things are true. We ask the question, how then should we then live? How then should we live? Because that's so. Uh, Francis Schaeffer uh, had a series, a video series, a book series entitled, How Then Should We Then Live? And it's, it's a good question. And so based on these, I ask the same question. How, because we are a work of God, because this church is a work of God, how then should we live? Because that is true. Well, I think in verses 12 through 14, we have four things. Look at verse 12. I know there's nothing better than for the man to be happy or to, to 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 be joyful and to do good while they live. Okay, so number one, how then should we live? Number one, we should rejoice. We should rejoice. You know what? Rejoice! God's been good to you. Rejoice and, uh, you know, re- rejoice, in the Lord, always. And again, I say, rejoice. That's Philippians, right? Philippians four four. Rejoice, in the Lord, always. Yeah. Can I say this? Over the years, over 23 years of ministry, it always, it always concerns me when you have Christian people and their face would make good cover pages for the book of Lamentations. You know what I'm saying? It's like, dude, you should not be that painful. It's like, I mean, like, you ask them, how are they doing? And it's always bad news. You know what I'm saying? How you doing? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, I'm not sure I'm glad I asked, but how you doing? Well, I'm glad you asked. Okay. All right. Now, I'm not saying that it's ever wrong to share that you're having a hard time. We mourn with those that mourn, but at some point in time, we rejoice with those that rejoice. And I think there are some believers that are used to commiserating, and I think they like to commiserate. And so what happens is, you know, there's just always a dark cloud around you. you got to stop that. Rejoice. Look and look and see how God has blessed you. I promise you there are... God has been good to you if he's given you life and he's given you God's spirit. So number one, we rejoice. Number two, look at the second part of verse 12. Not only rejoice, but do good. The last part of verse 12, do good. Hey, listen, yeah, there are challenges and yeah, there are, you know, it seems as if that. Look, I understand there are times when it's frustrating because you look around and, you know, David complains about this. Solomon complains about this. God, there are people over there that are wicked and it seems as if they get away with it. And it seems as if life is good. But listen, in faith, we do good. Even though it doesn't It doesn't look like it always pays to do good, we do good. Why? Because we're trusting God by doing good. And so because, because these things are true, we rejoice, verse 12. Number two, we, we do good, the end of verse 12. Number three, look at verse 13. Number three, enjoy the blessings of everyday life, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toil. This is the gift of God. What are we saying? What what is he saying here? Verse 13. Hey, listen, you've got a spouse. Enjoy the spouse. They're from God. You have children. Enjoy them. They're from God. You have work. Enjoy them. It's from God. All of these gifts are from the hand of God. Don't feel guilty. You don't need to be guilty. Enjoy them. They're God's gifts to you. He loves you. And every, what, what do we see in scripture? Every perfect gift comes from the father who gives liberally. And so rejoice, we do good, enjoy the blessings of everyday life. And then lastly, look at verse 14, lastly. Verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that man will fear him. Number 4 lastly, number 4. Number 1, we rejoice, we do good, we enjoy the blessings of everyday life. Lastly, rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God. We rest in the wisdom in sovereignty of God, so you're a work of God, I'm a work of God we're a work of God. this church is a work of God and because that's true we know that God and His work is seen in every phase of life. God in His work is dependent upon God, not man. God and His work is beautiful it's perfect every phase right God and his work is never late. God in his work is dependent is ultimately only understood by from God's perspective. And because of that, we can rejoice, we can do good, we can enjoy the blessings of everyday life, we can rest in the sovereignty of God. 2 Kings chapter 6, you don't need to turn. 2 Kings chapter 6. Elijah, Elijah's servant went out to the local 7 Eleven. Use your imagination to get an early morning cup of coffee. So he went and got his cappuccino and he stepped out and he saw the mountainside of Dothan surrounded by the invading Syrian army. That was bad news. That was bad news. So he ran back. He ran back to the prophet. He said to Elijah, Elijah, what are we going to do? 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 And Elijah said, stop fearing. For those that are with us are greater than those that are against us. And then he prayed a simple prayer. Lord, open open his eyes that he may see. And what did he see? The surrounding hills infested with the Lord's army. <laughs> you see, the reality is we're, we're safe in the hands of Christ, and hand, the hands of Christ is embedded in the hands of the Father. And the rhetorical question is who can, who can rip us from that grip? It can't be. Nobody can rip us from that grip. What was the the servant's problem? Did he see too too much? No, he saw too little. Many times we forget that we're the the workmanship of Christ. We're the workmanship of God. God is going to accomplish that which he began. And because that's so, we can trust him. We can trust the one that said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. All God's people said, Father, we thank You. We thank You for the truths of Your Word. We thank You for the uh, the implications of Ecclesiastes 3. We thank You that we're Your work. And Father, I pray that in these days when we are tempted to be overwhelmed and we're tempted to be discouraged, we thank You, Lord, for the reminder that You're doing all things well, that You're leading us through each season of life ministry. and ministry. Father, I pray that uh, You would help us to be encouraged. So, Father, we thank you for the time we've been able to have today. And, Lord, I pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing. For it's in Christ's name we pray.